You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Um, so as you know, kind of been pre-recording. That's going to be coming to an end pretty soon here once training camp starts. But um, obviously the David Bakhtiari news is getting to be somewhat old news at this point. But we got to, we got to address it for the first time. Well, second time because I talked about it a little bit on Packernet After Dark. Um, also, <laughs> my... Might be the third time you hear me talk about it because I talked about it with Clayton yesterday too. But let me summarize if you didn't listen to either of those two takes. There always is somewhat of a battle between the optimists and the pessimists. And um, I think I was sort of towing the line between the two. I think most people probably were somewhere in between in the middle, but um, I was probably leaning more optimist. But I, I think for most of us, this was sort of the tipping point. This was, and, and we even said so beforehand, if, if, if he ends up that he can't practice, then we know something is wrong. Because it, here's, here's the thing. It's not just that he's still hurt. Like he, he was hurt, you know, a couple weeks ago and he still is. So what's the big deal? It's just a couple more weeks. No, no, no. We were told that it's just precautionary. In other words, we were kind of hoping, I don't, I don't want to say that we were led to believe or we were led to believe. I, I'm not saying I knew 100% that he was healthy based on what they were telling me, but they were leading us to believe that it was at least possible that he is already 100% healthy. We're just holding him out as a precaution. There's really no need to worry. When training camp comes, he'll be good to go. Now, again, Matt LaFleur said, we hope, which kind of set off the alarm bells like, oh, it sounds like you're telling me that he's not ready. But, you know, we can kind of push that to the side and just say, maybe he's fine. Maybe he's been fine for months at this point and he'll practice and it'll be like nothing ever happened. And the panic was for nothing. Now we've learned that for months he's been injured. The last couple of weeks he's been injured and he still is. And when you're talking 600 days with injuries sustained from a torn ACL, it is time to panic. And, and the the optimists are doing what optimists do. And there's always a contingent of people who are way too pessimistic, and there are always a contingent of people that are way too optimistic. And I'm seeing way too many people on social media saying things like, you guys are ridiculous. To panic about this is stupid. He's going to be fine. It'll be a week or two, and he'll be right back on track. He'll be playing week one, and you're going to feel so stupid. I'm sorry to tell you, dude, it's not stupid. It's just not at this point. And, and like I said, uh, talking with Clayton and Jacob, uh, yesterday, the reality is that what's ridiculous is to assume that it's been 600 days, but yet I know it won't be more than seven more. You don't know that. That's that's an insane assumption. It's possible, but it's been, what, 
80, 85 weeks. He's like, what, 30 weeks past when you would expect him to come back. But it's absurd to think that it'll, be, it'll end up making it 31 weeks. It's not absurd. It's not. And, and we're getting into the territory of now we know it's a serious problem. That's not a debate anymore. This is, this is a serious issue. Well, ACLs are hard to come. Stop. You have to stop. This is a much more serious issue than we thought. It's a much more serious issue than almost every ACL injury in the NFL. Something is more wrong. And, and, we, and that's the other thing. We've seen this from, from the get-go. The fact that he, he was almost all the way back a year ago, but every single week it was an issue with fluid getting into his knee. And it's like, well, he's close, but every time he puts weight on it, fluid floods, it floods in. And then later on, he ends up getting a second procedure, which is always bad news. And then he, you know, presumably is going to come back from that and he re-injures it again because he played on it and his knee blew up and then he couldn't play the next week. And then it's been how many months after that? And it's possible there was a procedure in between there, which could give you somewhat of a glimmer of hope of maybe this injury now is more to do with recovering from his third surgery. But at the, the, the other end of the spectrum, that's three surgeries and we don't know if this is going to fix it. So there, there is no positive scenario here. And the likelihood that, you know, one day, boom, he's healthy and it'll never be an issue again, just seems more and more unlikely at this point by the day. And so I'm not going to sit here and say, I know for a fact he'll never play again for the Packers. I don't know that. He may play week one. He may play week three. I, I don't know. But just from a mathematical standpoint, the odds have certainly flipped to the negative. It's just a matter of fact. You know, the, the, being a bigger guy like David Bakhtiari is, an offensive lineman, it puts more strain on your knee to, to be out of commission for this long especially, you know, as, as he's getting up in age and surgeries are not taken for this issue, it, it, the long-term implications, you know, e- even if he does get better, the risk of re-injury, um, the potential drop in production, just whether that's based on him not trusting the knee, which is always an issue from guys coming back with injuries like this, especially when it's been years of having issues with this knee, you're, you're, the, the likelihood that you're just going to feel like, oh, it's 100% fine um, decreases. There's also the issues of strength and mobility and things like that, which are important for offensive linemen. If that is decreased, that could cause problems. There's just time away from football that can cause problems on top of just his shelf life is already getting to be uh, toward the end. So my personal orientation for this is to just assume he's not coming back. I'm not saying that I don't think he's coming back. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm still probably more than 50% sure at some point he'll play. And maybe that's me being too optimistic. I don't know. But but the point is, either way, even if he does come back for, for some period of time, we, we're going to have to look at life beyond David Bakhtiari at some point. I do think that'll be soon. It may be tomorrow or today or since several years ago. I think the light at the end of the tunnel, though, is that Elton Jenkins, assuming he comes back healthy sooner than later, um, looks to be a solid replacement at tackle. Uh, we've got several promising prospects that can potentially slot in there. We'll see what Royce can do. I'm sure he'll get some snaps at tackle to see if he can handle it. We know Yash has done a pretty good job. That seems to be maybe what we'll start with, Yash and, and, and Elton Jenkins. I mean, obviously we can't start with that because Elton's hurt, but um, you know that that is ultimately the, the light at the end of the tunnel. One of the things, you know, we, we don't like when these things happen, but sometimes you get some positives out of it. If you look at Alan Lazard, for example, the only reason we went and picked up Alan Lazard is because there was a empty spot on our roster. Aaron, it was at the end of the season. Aaron Jones ended up getting hurt. He got put on IR, I think. 
And so we had an open spot. And so what do, what do the Packers do? They, they just go out and grab a guy. They do this all the time, right? I talk about this. They're constantly shuffling the bottom of the road. So that's when we picked him up. We picked him up, and then we stashed him on the practice squad. And then later, uh, Geronimo Allison ended up getting hurt. And so for that reason, we end up promoting Lazard to the regular roster, and the rest is history, right? He's been a solid contributor for us ever since, and we'll see what he can do this year. Maybe he has a big breakout year. Either way, he's been a great player for us, and it only happened because of it. if Aaron Jones doesn't get put on IR, we, he never comes on our team. And if Geronimo doesn't get hurt, we we may have ended up just cutting the guy because he just lived on the practice squad, and it's possible we'd ended up just moving on from Lazard and, and never get to see his true potential. So I know nobody wants to think about these things, and certainly nobody wants to hear the benefit of having guys on IR and all that stuff, but the reality is um, this is a great opportunity to see what we have in the guys that we have, and, and there may be stars waiting to emerge. Cole Van Lannen could potentially, you know, he's a six-round pick just like John Runyon is, and he's been getting a ton of snaps at, at, at uh, right tackle uh, the last time the, the, um, during the offseason program, and maybe there is something there. Wisconsin guy, you know, they got a great lineage of offensive line players granted it's a slightly different system than what you usually see here but you know big physical guys that I'm sure the Packers love um again Royce Newman is probably going to get some snaps at tackle see what he can do there Zach Tom Sean Ryan Yash Nijman Rashid Walker I know he's on an injury list right now but I'm sure he'll be back sooner than later Caleb Jones same situation um you know there, there may be a diamond in the rough here and and if nothing else possibly kicking a guy like Royce out, um, or even if not, might thrust Sean Ryan and or Zach Tom into these situations or on the offensive line. And again, maybe you end up finding a, a, an emergence of a star there. You know, even David Bakhtiari, he, he, he got the exact same situation. He was thrust, thrust into this as a fourth-round pick that was just kind of floundering. You know, you, you look at it as being pie in the sky, and oh yeah, I'm sure Zach Tom is going to be. Uh, Zach Tom is a fourth round pick, just like David Bakhtiari is, and he was thrust into his position because of an injury, and he thrived. It was actually Brian Balaga that ended up getting hurt, and as a result, he's in, and and again, Balaga came back and played for us for a long time. You know, it seemed disappointing. Like we got this left tackle, he's really good. Now we got to put this stupid fourth rounder in. There. And by the time Balaga got healthy, they're like, yeah, why don't you just go over to right tackle, man? So you know. Let's just take it a step at a time. Um, I, I, I think even last year, if we had looked at that situation and um, had heard, you know, again, Zadarius is going to be out, Bakhtiari is going to be out, Jair is going to be out, this, the season's over, just pack it up. But we may do, right? The offensive line may do without um, David Bakhtiari. And I think we're in a better spot now than we were last year. Again, Elton's hurt, but he was hurt for a good portion of last year. Also, um, in fact, the, the, the final game that we played, which didn't go well, we decided that it would be better to not have Yash in the game, and that ended up being a massive detriment because we thought Billy Turner was the answer, but we don't need to get into that nonsense. So glad they moved on from Billy. They had way too much confidence in that guy, and I'll never understand why. But anyways, this, this is just the reality. Um, there is an issue there. I don't know how long this is going to take place, but at, either way, we need to start looking at the future. And, and this is why, you know, you, you can't just look at the surface level issues. Everybody wants to look at, well, we need a better wide receiver, so we should go get a wide receiver or whatever the case may be. But, you know, I don't think we look as fans enough at, and the Packers have always done a great job of this, of, of drafting, just drafting the best player available because you never know what the future holds. You know, um, 
offensive line is massively important, even if people don't see it, because they're like, dude, we got Bakhtiari, we got Elton Jenkins, we're, we're, we got all these guys, we're set, we don't need it. Yeah, but something like this happens, and you're glad that you've been drafting offensive linemen all these years. You know, same with edge rusher. Well, we don't need it because we got two guys in safety. Well, we don't need it because, you know, the, the, the depth matters. And just stocking a roster with talent because you never know what's going to happen is always the way the Packers have done things, and it's been great. You don't draft, That's why you don't draft for need, because essentially all you're looking at is immediate need based on what we think the future holds based on what our roster is currently. It, it doesn't, we, we, but we have no idea who's, who's not going to show up because of a contract dispute. Who's going to end up getting injured? Who's going to end up retiring? And, and beyond that, you draft guys with long-term plans. I mean, it, you're not drafting a guy to play for one year. At the very least, you draft a guy to play for four years under his rookie contract. Well, if you look out over four years, what position is set for four years? None of them. And then if you assume if they end up being good, you sign them to a longer term contract. Okay, so what, seven years? What position is set for seven years? None of them. Draft the best player available. That's it. I mean, even positions with guys like Rashawn and positions with guys like Elton Jenkins, you say, well, they're going to be here for a long time. Okay, you need just one pass rusher and one tackle. And are they never going to get hurt ever? Then just draft the best player available. And if there's any holes by the end of the draft, go out in free agency and try to patch it. Anyways, going to move off of that. Um, we've got, obviously, training camp is starting real soon. I just want to kind of fill you in on a couple things that um, I'm planning on doing. I don't want to, I'm not going to tell you everything because I, I don't exactly know that I'm going to be able to do all of it. But one thing that I definitely know that I, I'm planning on doing is over at the Substack, I'm going to be taking very diligent notes, not just of Packers training camp, but at the very least, the rest of the NFC North. I'm going to be trying to keep track of maybe some other stuff that's going on around the league and that's going to be sort of the, 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 the number one resource that you're going to find in terms of keeping up to date on, on what's going on with Packers training camp as well as everything else. I mean, just player-by-player player breakdowns, week-to-week week breakdowns and all that kind of stuff, just so that you have a resource to say, even if you want to refer back. Um, and I, I know there's a lot of other sites that kind of, kind of do that, but I want to try to put it together in a way that's more comprehensive. And again, I also want to do the Bears, the Vikings, and the Lions, and possibly some some other um, stuff, so you can kind of keep an eye on that. And again, I, I want to look at big picture, not just here. You know, Jalen Johnson had a good day or whatever. It's what do we need to know about the Bears DBs? What are the important things to know about it, and and how are they doing? So all of that stuff is going to be over at the Substack. Again, my goal over there is to make it a resource that is well worth the very minor amount of money it costs to to be a part of that. And you can also sign up for a free one-week thing. So this would be a good week to, to kind of start your free membership just to see what it's all about. But just a couple things that I wanted to look at, uh, just s- slowly easing into that. There's not a ton of news yet, but again, it's starting to... Um, trickle out. One of the things that I saw that was kind of interesting, we talked about Christian Watson, who came to an agreement and, um, you know, his contract got signed and all that. But I was saying, I wonder about other players, because there were supposedly like 11, I guess, that um, hadn't signed yet. And I, the, the question I had is, are any of these guys going to end up not showing up? Because it's getting to be that point where they need to show up. Well, that is the case. Uh, apparently, one of the guys who the contract dispute has come to a head is the Chicago Bears and safety Jaquan Brisker. Again, the the point of contention seems to be second round picks. Second round picks are starting to get some of the guarantees that only first round picks got. And um, so now all of the players expect it and demand it, right? This is kind of the new precedent. This is what we do. And this is what I expect you to also do. 
And some of the teams are saying, no, I, I'm not doing that. Um, and so again, the Packers and Christian Watson came to an agreement. And so now Christian Watson, although injured, so I guess that sucks, but they came to that agreement. Jaquan Brisker um, has not. And as a result, he has not shown up. So, and, and you got to remember the, the Bears' two first picks, the cornerback and the safety, are presumed starters. So, you know, unlike Christian Watson, where it's a matter of, you know, I don't know exactly where he's going to be, wide receiver one, two, three, four, I don't know. If Brisker doesn't play, they're, I mean, they got Houston Carson, who I think is an underrated safety, but that's kind of a big blow. And to have the main part of the season when these guys really learn what we're doing here and, and learn the defense and learn the system and learn how to train and how to perform and how to do all these things and uh, building bonds with your your everybody on the defense, he's not going to show up. And granted, I, I would assume this is going to get resolved very quickly. But uh, it, it does answer the question of, is this ever going to come to a head where a, a rookie doesn't show up because of a contract dispute? It has. Jaquan Brisker is, um, is one of those guys. So that will be one of the things to keep an eye on. Again, I'm, I'm guessing by the time practice starts and maybe even by the time this podcast posts that this will be resolved. But if it doesn't, that is one of the big things to keep an eye on for the Chicago Bears who are reeling to try to find any kind of talent um, and, and just really hoping and, and, and begging for any amount of good news. Just give me something positive to sink my teeth into. And even one of the guys, you know, you try to get excited about the rookie class and, and they're already not showing up. It's kind of like when I talked to... Clayton about um, the Jets and and every time you try to believe in something, it just it, the wheels start falling off immediately. You start hearing bad reports and guys not getting along and all this stuff. And it's the same thing with the Bears. You try to get excited if you're a Bears fan. You try to buy in. You try to believe, and right away the reports are just ugly. It's like, oh come on, man. But of course, as Packer fans, we can just sit back and kind of do that little give 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 them a little smirk. Like, yeah, man, <laughs> you know, you know, you suck. Come on, say it. Just say it. Um, another actually very interesting development for the Chicago Bears. Um, and again, special teams is one of those things where everybody pretends it doesn't matter until it becomes a problem, then it's the most important thing. Packer fans now, I think, fully understand that. But we've seen it with the Bears and the Vikings in particular, where they were desperately looking for kickers. Their kicker sucked. It's a revolving door, et cetera, et cetera. We've seen it with with punters whether it be Jake Frost or whoever, where it's just a nightmare and it needs to get resolved. One of the interesting things about the Chicago Bears is that they brought in a punter. They, uh, they have a rookie punter on the roster, and they, they like the guy. You know, it's uh, Jacob Infante or whatever says, if you're a kicker or a punter playing for the Bears, you need to have a strong leg to withstand the harsh winters. Rookie Trenton Gill gets serious distance behind his punts and can push the ball down the field. His big leg and improving touch makes him a great fit for Chicago. So they're excited about him, but the crazy thing is, he has no competition. This is an undrafted free agent rookie. Actually, that's wrong. He was a seventh round pick. Seventh round pick by the Bears. You know, and again, they like him enough to draft him. I'm sure he's extremely talented and all that stuff. But to have no competition means, I mean, it's, it's just a burn the boat situation. It's all or nothing. I mean, I guess they can go out in free agency and grab a veteran, maybe. But remember, their punter is in Green Bay right now. And their solution was, we'll draft a guy and we're done. We're not even going to consider anything else. And that, to me, is crazy. And and remember, they got a brand new GM that they're all excited about. And, you know, I think there's little things like this that you look at and go, this doesn't seem right, that maybe the guy is not cut out for the job. I don't know. You know, I, I feel like this is kind of basic GMing where you make sure that you have some level of competition 
where there's a vacancy, a long-time punter has gone, and we need to fill this. One of the things you do here is bring in this guy, but if it was Brian Gutekunst, there'd be like three or four other punters that will have cycled through over the course of the next several weeks. We'll probably have like two two or three on the roster, and then they'll they'll be punting, and then one of them will get cut very quickly, and then there's two there, and then maybe one of the guys leaves, and we'll bring in another guy, and everybody's competing with this Trenton Gill. And yeah, you assume Gill's going to win the job, but just in case, we're just going to try some stuff. We're throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall. This GM is like, yeah, we'll draft a guy, and then we'll call it good. We're done. All right, well, best of luck to you, I guess. I mean, he was graded as the 52nd best punter in college, so I mean, that's that's nice. 28th best hang time, 404, which is great. 33rd in yards per attempt. So I could see why you would just grab him and, and, you know, cut bait and stuff. Makes sense. Tied for 55th longest punt. So, you know, as far as having a strong leg, I mean, I, I guess, I guess that counts. 65 yarder. It's nice. 27 um, punters, actually 27, 28, 29, 30 punters had uh, kicks of 70 or longer. So I guess that's kind of, kind of good. There were, uh, what, five had 80 or longer punts? Matt Areza is nuts, by the way. I think he ended up getting drafted. Let me see if I can find that real quick. Yeah, sixth round by the Buffalo Bills. Matt Areza. Longest punt uh, last year was 86 yards. Number one in punts inside the uh, 20-yard line with 41. Number two in, in yards per attempt. You guy's crazy. Anyways. Finally, looking at other NFC North news, the Detroit Lions, and this was a couple days ago, but it flew enough under the radar that I missed it. Uh, The Lions signed former Steelers defensive lineman Isaiah Bugs. Bugs appeared in 29 games for Pittsburgh from 2019 to 2021 before joining the Raiders during the playoffs in January. So Detroit has one of the worst interior defensive lines. In fact, no, they they probably have the worst interior defensive line. The, The problem is Bugs is not good at football. I mean, his grades over three years, 56, 46, 59. I mean, it's just, it's just bad. Um, his run defense grades, <laughs> believe it or not, he's a better pass rusher than his, than a run defender. Run defense grades, 47, 37, and 51. Pass rush grades have been in the sixties for three years, but, um, statistically last year he had four pressures on 98 attempts. That is a pass rush rate of 4%. I mean, it's pretty easy math. I'm sure you're not stunned. <laughs> Four out of 100, basically. Um, that's 4%. This guy is 6'3", 295. It's not as though he's a 340-pound monster nose tackle. He's 295. He got to the quarterback 4% of the time, zero sacks. He's never had more than four pressures in a season. I mean, he's a rotational guy, but that's, that is, he is, uh, he is so bad. And he's probably going to be their best defensive tackle. So uh, it's, it's brutal for Detroit. Anyways, why don't we take a break here? Um, good spot to stop. We will come back and look at a couple things. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited 
about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So I want to start off, I've been uh, kind of giving Bears fans a hard time for being ridiculously unrealistic, but um, I actually found some stuff that I thought was pretty cool, and I, I feel it's only fair to kind of give the larger Bears community more credit. I saw two different things. Number one is from Aaron Lemming, Chicago Bears guy on Twitter. He says, I want to start a little interaction game here. Uh, basically, he wants to know what the Bears record will be at the end of week 18. Now, I've always said it's easier to get people's guard down when they're in you know, present company, right? If you ask a Bears fan what their record is going to be and you're a Packer fan, they're going to give you a different answer than if they're, you know, a Bears fan or whatever, probably. This works in all kinds of, of areas. But anyways, Bears fan asking Bears fans, here are some of the responses. First of all, Aaron Lemming said 6-11. and 11. Next guy says 4-13. and 13. Jadad does say 11-6. and six. There's going to be a couple, but the point is the overwhelming majority not super crazy. And the first comment on under 11 and 6 is I'm predicting the same. So you get a good amount of that. Continuing on 4 and 13, 7 and 10, 8 and 9, 3 and 14, 4 and 13, 10 and 7. And he says according to everyone else it would be 0 and 17, so he's bitter about it, but you know, again, there are some 6 and 11, 6 and 11, 7 and 10, 6 and 11 and it it kind of goes on and on. So the vast majority are kind of in that 6 and 11 range. Um there are I would say it's pretty close to even on the amount of people that are overestimating the Bears and massively underestimating the Bears. And by massively underestimating, I mean, they're probably correct, but less than, let's say, six wins, which is what I think they're projected to be. But the point is, the the majority, in my opinion, are between, you know, five, six, seven wins. So they they kind of get it. There there are a large amount of people, and, and there's tons of arguments under the the, the people who are, you know, saying we're going to win five games or whatever, and they're like, you're an idiot. But I think that's the majority. Another interesting thing I found is they actually did a Bears fan survey on The Athletic, just asking Bears fans out of 2,000 what they think about the season kind of going forward. Again, it's, it's, it's important because I've been kind of coming down hard on Bears fans, but it's also interesting to kind of get a perspective from Bears fans about their team, because I think as Packer fans, we can look at it and say, maybe we're underestimating them. But when you hear Bears fans say it, it's kind of like, all right, now we're good. But when asked, what is your confidence level in the direction of the franchise? 63% said, same as usual. It's still the Bears. Now, this is more optimistic because I do think the team is worse, and only 7% said the team is worse. So there, there is a more optimistic leaning than I think there should be. But the point is, there's not really a wild ridiculous. There is some. 30% think that the team is going to get better. Again, for these people, their hopes are going to be crushed and dashed, and I think it's hilarious, but 63% are not expecting the team to get better. How confident are you in Justin Fields? Only 9.8% put a 5 out of 5. 40% have a 4 out of 5. 38% have a 3 out of 5. That comprises almost everybody, but here's the interesting thing. One year ago, 53% responded um, 
four out of five, 23% responded five out of five. So it's shifting backwards. So Bears fans, although they skew optimistic, only 12% are less than a three out of five. The optimism is waning. And, and just that that five out of five optimism went from 23.1% down to 9.8%. So only 9.8% are still of the belief that he's going to be super great. Uh, how does your confidence in Justin Fields compare to last year? We've already seen what the actual results are, but 45% said about the same. 29% more confident, 25% less confident. Again, that is the 29% are being stupid. That's all there is to it. You know, anybody that is in that 70% that said either about the same or less confident, great. There's no way in the world that your level of confidence after watching the garbage that he did last year, you're more confident than after you drafted him. That's just being stupid. Do you trust GM Ryan Poles? Surprisingly, 50% said I'm not sure. 14% said no. Only 38% said yes. Again, there's a lot of bravado about how much they love Ryan Poles and they love all these guys, but when when pen goes to paper, when when actually asked, only 37.9% said that they trust him. Another thing I thought was interesting, uh, what was Poles' best offseason mood? They largely, 36% said drafting Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker, 35.3% shedding veteran contracts like Danny Trevathan, Eddie Goldman, and Tariq Cohen. Only 15% said hiring Matt Eberflus as the head coach. Again, the number one thing that we keep hearing is they're going to be this great football team. Why? Because we got a new head coaching staff. But only 15% think that that's the most, they, they, they're more excited about Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker. That doesn't sound like a fan base that's super confident that Matt Eberflus is the main driving force that's going to change the direction of our franchise, does it? If that was the case, how is it only 15.8% and 9% said trading Khalil Mack, which again is stupid? Um, Which players from the 2021 class are you most excited about? And they don't put Justin Fields on here. Tevin Jenkins is third on this list, which is hilarious to me. Everybody's already done with that guy. Number one, they had Khalil Herbert. Number two, Larry Borum. This one's pretty hilarious. Again, everybody's excited about the head coach, and they're really excited about this Packer guy that came over and is going to change the offense for the good, right? That's what we're told anyways. Just, it's so funny because the major optimist Bears fans pretend like the whole world sees it, but yet here are Bears fans answering these questions. What is your expectation for offensive coordinator Luke Getze? 53.5% said the personnel isn't good enough, so what does it matter? 23.3% said nervous about a first-time play caller. 23.3% said he'll be the difference maker for fields in the offense. In other words, the people who are saying that stuff are in the vast majority. Not even one quarter of Bears fans believe that he will be the difference maker for fields in the offense. So when you see these people getting in your face saying you're an idiot, you don't know what you're talking about, 75% of Bears fans don't even agree with that guy. And I've got the data right here that says it. What position concerns you the most? They said offensive line at 64.5%. I tend to agree. Most people would say wide receiver, just like they do for the Packers. I think offensive line is the bigger issue. They have wide receiver number two. Interestingly enough, quarterback is number three. A couple other ones that I'm going to skip that aren't super interesting. Which free agent acquisition makes the biggest impact? They have 43% said Lucas Patrick, which makes me smile because the best thing that happened to you is one of our uh, offensive linemen that we got rid of is going to be one of your best players. It just It just makes me laugh. And it's the funny thing is it's true. Here's some Bears delusion. If you were to buy a jersey from a current Bear not named Justin Fields, who would you pick? 40.2% said Roquan. Good. Buy his jersey. Makes me smile. The funny thing is after that, you got Darnell Mooney, David Montgomery. You know who's fourth? Jaquan. <laughs> like this, just, just go with one of the rookies because who cares? Everybody else is trash. There's nobody even 
And Eddie Jackson, by the way, 0.5%. He was last on this list. Nobody likes that guy anymore. So the, the whole facade that he's all good and all that, all the slings and arrows that I took for about two years saying that Eddie Jackson is not that good from Bears fans, screaming, you're an idiot, you know what you're talking about, he's one of the best safeties in football. Suddenly, they all seem to have found out. Interesting how that works. One of my favorite questions in this whole thing, what letter grade would you assign Bears chairman George McCaskey for how he handled the regi- regime change? 35.5% said a C. You know why they said a C? On one hand, Bears fans hate the McCaskies. On the other hand, they can't say that he got an F because that would mean that him bringing in polls and to whatever extent he brought in the the coaching changes and all that stuff, that would have been a bad decision. So we have to simultaneously say that we really think McCaskey did a great job while at the same time fully acknowledging that McCaskey's an idiot and doesn't know what he's doing. That's a, that's, that's a hilarious thing for sh- the Chicago Bears fans also. You guys know McCaskey's an idiot, but yet you think he's a brilliant genius that brought in this great staff. Okay. <laughs> Another really interesting one. How confident are you in Matt Eberflus as the head coach? Only 5.7% said a five, uh, 5 out of 5. 33% said 4 out of 5. 46.7%, almost half of people that voted said 3 out of 5. Not very confident, are you? That's weird. So the people that are saying that he's this great head coach... They are in the minority to the order of about 5%. What excites you about a potential new stadium in Arlington Heights? The number one answer, nothing. (laughs) Here's another one that's depressing for Bears fans. Who is the best Bears quarterback of all time? 35.4% said Sid Luckman, which is probably the right answer. 35% Jay Cutler, 25% Jim McMahon. (laughs) Jim McMahon is like, he's like Joe Flacco. He got dragged to a Super Bowl and and you know by a defense and did just enough to to not sink the entire ship. And I don't even think Jim McMahon was as good as Joe Flacco. But the fact that that's like the consensus number three and twenty five percent actually said he was the best Bears quarterback ever that is just absolutely freaking hilarious. By the way, the best of the rest, Eric Kramer got twelve votes for best quarterback of all time. Mitch Trubisky got nine. Justin Fields already seven. Justin Fields, seven votes. Kyle Orton, Rex Grossman, Josh McCown, Jim Miller, and Billy Wade in order of best Bears quarterbacks. That is just pathetic. Favorite Bear of all time, Walter Payton. Hats off. No, no quite. This list I like. Walter, Brian Urlacher, Devin Hester, Charles Tillman. Great players. But the, the by the way. Shame on Bears fans. I mean, Devin Hester and Charles Tillman are great players, but how does Dick Butkus fall below them? And Mike Singletary and Gail Sayers, by the way? Nowhere near enough respect. I I went back and watched at one point some of the best running backs of all time and their highlights and all that stuff, and just to see, and I ended up having like favorites or whatever based on how they ran. Gail Sayers might have been my favorite in terms of what he, he was like Barry Sanders way back before Barry Sanders. That dude is real good and deserves a lot more. I mean, I, I like Matt Forte a lot. The fact that he is way above Gail Sayers on this list is pathetic. Y'all are embarrassing yourselves. <laughs> and then again, how many wins will the Bears have? Number one answer at 28% is six. Number two answer is five. 20% said seven. And then the next highest is 12.5% said four or fewer. So about 90% say seven or fewer. 7.6% said eight wins. think nine or more. So again, if you go on Twitter, it's about 25% of the people on there are saying nine, 10, 11, 12 wins, whatever. But Twitter is just this 
pile of ridiculous people. That's just what it is. That's what social media is. It's a pile of ridiculousness. And uh, I think we all get sucked into it. I get sucked into it. And I, I like picking on the, the dumbest of the dumb, but um, it is fair with, especially considering we have a good sizable Bears fan audience to at least, you know, acknowledge that most of the fan base isn't completely idiotic and acknowledges reality. Even if six is maybe a little bit over-optimistic for your team. Anyways, the final thing that I wanted to look at um, yesterday, speaking of doing polls, I did a bunch of polls on Patreon, just kind of looking at kind of further down the roster, where does everybody land in terms of who do you think is going to end up winning these jobs? So I want to start off with the RB3 job. We don't have 2,000 people voting. I wish we did. I would not have to, you know, I'd be a very rich man if 2,000 patrons were on here. By the way, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. And if we get 2,000 people, that would be glorious. But we won't. Um, RB3, 55% said Kylan Hill. So, um, and that's with me doing a, a lot of Patrick Taylor campaigning over the last week. Patrick Taylor came in second with 34%. The other, I think the most interesting thing here, because that kind of makes sense. I mean, Kylan Hill is the presumed number one guy. He's kind of, I believe he is sort of the number three right now pending any kind of changes. The thing that I found maybe the most interesting is that Tyler Goodson received 10% of the votes. BJ Baylor got zero. So I'm kind of curious, and I didn't get any comments on this, of the people that like Goodson, what is it about Goodson that you like? Because it's it's interesting. I mean, I'm not surprised that one of the, the uh, rookies got a little bit of love here and there, but clearly there's something about Goodson that people like. And I don't know if, you know, maybe there's been some articles written about him being this really good player or whatever. I'm just curious what it is. And then about Baylor, why why doesn't he get any? I mean, I, I don't know. It makes sense that they wouldn't get any, but obviously there's something about Goodson that people like. So I wanted to kind of explore that a little bit because we haven't really looked at Goodson and Baylor all that much. So BJ Baylor is an Oregon State beaver. He's 5'11", 205, so he doesn't really hit that sort of prototype of what you would expect the Packers to like, um, kind of the, the the bigger back types. But 82.3 overall grade, he kind of had a big breakout year last year, 5.9 yards per attempt, 1,337 yards, 13 touchdowns. So he really had a phenomenal season. 3.5 yards after contact per attempt, 57 missed tackles forced, which is a really huge number. Um, he is that breakaway runner that we really haven't had. 36% of his yards came via breakaway. That's a weird stat because obviously breakaway runs are larger numbers or whatever, so it's hard to really quantify what that means, but it kind of just gives you an idea of what kind of a runner they are. And as we know, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, not big breakaway guys. They're more you know, consistently giving you that four yards kind of thing. But 34 carries over 10 yards. He had 17 carries over 15 yards. Some of the longer carries he had, week two against Hawaii, he had a 66-yard run. Week three, 20. Week four, 40. Week six, he had a 50-yard run. Week eight, he had a 68-yard run. 22 against Colorado. 24 against Arizona. 20 against Utah State. So he's pretty consistent with at least 20 yards in every game, but also had some massive 50- and 60-yard runs. Surprisingly, wasn't used a ton as a receiver. 12 targets, 8 receptions, uh, 75 yards. He also somehow had 2 drops, so that's kind of horrible considering he was only twelve targeted 12 times. So the receiving is a bit of an issue, but as a runner, he really kind of carved up college football. 
He also isn't much of a blocker. I mean, it's, it's very up and down. He's got several games in which he graded out quite well, 71, 74, 74, 75, and 70. But despite that, he ended with a 14.5 overall grade because those games in between the 70s, he had a 5.6, a 0, an 8.2, and a 28.5. So um, not a lot of opportunities, 35 opportunities, but he allowed six pressures, including five hurries and a hit on those 35 opportunities. So it was it was pretty bleak. Uh, rush Run blocking, grade 55.3. So basically just a good runner. Um, and again, I think guys like this are going to struggle, especially in, in places like Green Bay where they don't like to specialize. They like guys that can do everything. And if you can't block and you can't catch, I could see that being somewhat of an issue. Tyler Goodson out of Iowa. Obviously, it's a, a bigger program, so there's more reason to be excited, although the grades, not quite as good. I mean, you know, tougher competition and whatnot, but just a 69.9 overall grade. Um, he, we're looking at blocking. Well, we'll start with blocking because why not? Um, 54.8 run blocking grade, 57 pass blocking grade, more consistently good at it. He did it much more often, but he still had a couple really bad ones mixed in. So a ton of seventies, but also had an 18 overall grade against Penn state and a 27.9 in his final game against Michigan. He's also had consistent struggles with pass blocking. He did take a big step with a 57 overall grade because previously it was 28 and 32. So blocking has not really been his thing, by the way, five, nine, one ninety-seven. Um, he's even smaller than uh, the B.J. Baylor, so he fits the mold even less so. Anyways, getting to the important part about rushing, he did have 1,148 yards and six touchdowns, 4.5 average, which is decent, but you know nothing super amazing. 2.3 yards after contact, 38 missed tackles forced, 32 yards, uh, 32 carries of 10 yards or more, 15 of 15 or more, 38.6 breakaway. So he's another kind of a, a breakaway guy, I guess. And then as a receiver, this is probably where he would maybe separate himself a little bit. Um, 38 targets, 31 receptions, 247 yards, and a touchdown has a 74 overall receiving grade. So, I mean, I, it's it's kind of a kind of a horse apiece, I think, between the two as, as far as just based on that where I would go. Um, based on build, I think B.J. Baylor is is closer as far as being you know bigger. As far as a runner, it seems like B.J. Baylor is probably better. In terms of being more well-rounded, runner, receiver, blocker, Tyler Goodson probably gets that plus bigger school. Either way, I'm still leaning Patrick Taylor. I mean, <laughs> he checks every single box. But um, I think the, the the cool thing is there's a good chance that we're going to see some exciting stuff, whether it be training camp or especially preseason with these guys because they, they've got that breakaway ability. And there's probably going to be a lot of fans that um, want to end up falling in love with these guys based on some of the cool stuff they're able to do. And then they're probably going to not end up winning the job and then people are going to be mad that the Packers are being stupid clearly this guy's great or whatever but it is interesting I think if you did vote for Goodson just give me some insight I'm curious what that is if it's just you know you're an Iowa fan or you knew him from college and he was real good or whatever I'm just I'm just curious I asked the question who will be the wide receiver one I've asked this one before but I just wanted kind of a follow-up I was a little surprised by the results but maybe I shouldn't be um Sammy Watkins received 48% of the vote. So clearly everyone is sort of on the Sammy Watkins bandwagon that he is sort of the number one guy. Maybe the, the better question would be if Watkins isn't the number one, will it be Watson or Lazard that steps into that role? Because I know some people, and I think uh, somebody asked this, I don't know if it's the voicemail or what, but um, somebody had made some kind of a comment about, oh, it's right here, Patrick Schneider. I'll, I'll let him answer. He says, I think we're very much overhyping Lazard's role this season. I don't see him qualifying as a wide receiver one in terms of utility and production. So th that would be my question. If Watkins isn't the guy, 
how many people go over to Lazard and say he's the guy, and how many people just think Lazard will never be that guy. So if it's not him, it'll be Watson. If it's not Watson, it'll be Dobbs. But, you know, Lazard will be that sort of number two wide receiver, and he won't ever be more than that. Greg says, hopefully Watson is a quick study and develops into wide receiver one by midseason, but I'm going to go with Watkins for now. Lazard would be a close second choice for me at this time. I do think Lazard would probably win if we removed Watkins, but I would be kind of curious about that. Maybe I'll do a follow-up. But yeah, 50% believe Watkins is the guy, which I think is, again, surprising, but maybe it shouldn't be. I think the the overwhelming feeling is that when healthy, or, or you know, if we're assuming health, he makes the most sense. And that's probably true. Maybe. I don't know. I said, who's going to win the right guard spot? This one's kind of tough because the offensive line is in so much flux. It kind of depends what who you think goes where or whatever. But I figured it made the most sense if we kind of assume some of these other things are locked up. And I gave four options, Royce, Zach Tom, Sean Ryan, or other. 48% said Royce is going to hold that job down. 44% believe Sean Ryan will take that job. And 8% said Zach Tom. Nobody said other. So I think that probably makes the most sense. Um, Royce staying in that spot, it's, it's always easiest to go with the guy that was already there, has the experience and all that. Uh, Sean Ryan, first of all, was drafted sooner than Zach Tom, but on top of that, he kind of fits that right guard mold of being sort of the bigger, stronger, powerful guy. So if it's not Royce, Sean Ryan would make the most sense. And then Zach Tom is probably just people like me that think he's the better football player and will just win the job. I'm not saying I think that's going to happen, but you know, just Zach Tom apologists. I asked who would win the linebacker three job, and 88% said Chris Barnes. So um, kind of hearkening back to that Facebook question that we got a long time ago is why does everybody assume Barnes would be the guy? And I said, I don't, I don't know why you think that everybody thinks that. Apparently he's right. 88% think that. I'm, I'm in that camp also, and I kind of went on to explain why I think that probably is going to be the case. And again, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they like Barnes. It's just this is what they think will happen. 13% went to McDuffie, zero said Summers or anybody else. So pretty straightforward. I guess I'm a little, if I had a follow-up question, it would be what gives you confidence in McDuffie over Summers or anybody else? Maybe it's just because he hasn't been here as long and so we just don't know, or I I don't know. That would be sort of an interesting follow-up. Next question, who is going to be CB4 after the three starting guys? Um, 4% said Rico Gafford, 12% said Nixon, 16% 16% said Ento, 68% said Shamar Jean Charles would end up winning that job. So lots of confidence in the uh, sixth round pick, I think he was. I've never really had that much confidence even when we drafted him, but at the same time, I don't have a lot of confidence in any of the other guys either, so fair enough. And then finally, who will be safety three? It was pretty evenly split aside from the number one. It was 9% for other, 9% for Gaines, and 9% for Davis. said rookie Carpenter, Tariq Carpenter, would end up getting the job. 61%, though, said Vernon Scott is going to be the guy. Again, late round pick, um, very similar to Gene Charles. You know, there's maybe a little bit too much optimism about Vernon Scott, but at the same time, there really isn't a ton of other people to pick. So fair enough. But um, again, I'm going to get to work like right now. I'm going to be doing some previews of the rosters. And part of that is going to be this right here, looking at um, kind of in-depth into the rosters for the Packers, the Bears, the Lions, and the Vikings, who these guys are and kind of just what to watch for and all that. So uh, be on the lookout for that for the Substack. Might work on kind of a 53, but I, I kind of want to see a little bit in terms of what these guys are doing in training camp before I even really concern myself with that. Some of these guys are going to end up getting cut before we even need to really 
think about it, I guess. But it's time to start putting the pieces together. Again, I'm, I'm super excited about, about uh, tracking all these things, and it's going to be a good week. It's going to be a lot of fun. But you guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>